0: Welcome to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Scott of Denver Seminary. What are the challenges we face in today's church and culture in a postmodern, post-Christian era? Dr. Haley believes that in addressing those issues, the church must adopt a missional mindset. Christianity does hold the answers to the big questions of today's culture. Let's join Dr. Haley for today's edition of Christian Curious. Civilization is a rarity, wrote C.S. Lewis, attained with difficulty and easily lost. The normal state of humanity is barbarism, just as the normal surface of our planet is salt water. This is Christian Curious with Dr. Haley, a show that explores the most urgent issues of our time. In recent weeks, my husband Paul and I have been watching documentaries on the Viking invasions of unprotected monasteries. The violence, the disregard for human life feature prominently. And I've often wondered aloud to Paul, how thin is the veneer of civilization we have enjoyed in our lifetime? But today, with multiple crises emerging from every corner of society, we are beginning to see the cracks in that very thin veneer. The New York Times writer David Brooks identified five crises facing the American public, the pandemic, the rapid education of white Americans regarding the plight of African Americans, political upheaval and realignment, the quasi-religion of social justice, and the possibility we are on the verge of a prolonged economic depression. Today, my guest and I will strive to address one of the five, the pandemic and what a faithful response might look like. Joining us today is Dr. Doug Roethuis, professor of philosophy at Denver Seminary. Dr. Grotheis received a Ph.D. and a B.S. from the University of Oregon and an M.A. in philosophy from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. A prolific author, he is the author of Walking Through Twilight, A Wife's Illness, A Philosopher's Lament, Philosophy in Seven Sentences, Christian Apologetics, Unmasking the New Age, Confronting the New Age, Revealing the New Age Jesus, Christianity that Counts, Deceived by the Light, Jesus in the Age of Controversy, this and the Soul in Cyberspace. Dr. Grothuis, I'm so glad you're here again uh, mm. to help us think more deeply about the pandemic and what a faithful Christian response might look like.
1: Well, thank you. I'm happy to be back, Kelly.
0: Well, you know, we have seen so many differing reactions to the pandemic. I mean, we have the the political level where... Uh, One side of the aisle doesn't want to wear masks because they see it as an infringement on our liberty and the other side who are um, obeying the rules. We also have Christians that are trying to understand the, um, the pandemic in light of what God may be trying to teach us or what we can learn from the pandemic. Um, Some have said it's the end times. Some have said it's the result of sin. It's God's judgment on on the world. And a lot of church pastors that I have worked with personally have actually had a sense of paralysis of really not knowing what to think or what to do. And, you know, throughout histories, when societies were stricken by plagues, Many fled to infected areas for better air, but Christians stayed and they ministered to the ill, and many died in this service. So what do you think about how the church is responding to COVID-19? There
1: is a lot to think about there, a lot to pray about. I can just go through some of the things you mentioned. First, the end-time speculations. Anytime there is a major upheaval in society, some people will claim that this is beginning the chain of events that will lead to the Great Tribulation and the Second Coming. And the response of the Church from day one has been come quickly, Lord Jesus, certainly. Yes. But I think we need to be careful in inferring too much. Uh, from what's happening with respect to what Scripture says about the the, uh, penultimate events leading up to the uh, blessed hope of the second coming, I think we need to get busy with being salt and light where we are and trying to capitalize on the unique opportunities that God is giving us in this situation. And one of them is certainly interpretation we should have a Christian account of reality, a biblical one. We should look at the facts on the ground. We shouldn't jump to conclusions. We shouldn't commit logical fallacies. And everything I've just said is very easy and simple to do on Facebook right. or any social media. But Christians believe the world is good, was made by a good God, and after he finished his work, as recounted in Genesis, after he made man in his image and likeness, men and women, he said, it is very good. But you see in Genesis 3 that the first couple disobeyed God, rebelled against God, and the world fell into sin and disrepair. God brings order, and humans bring chaos. So, Sin has been a factor in the world, this opposition to God and his ways, this deep selfishness and even self-deception. So any time since Genesis 3, so to speak, we perceive the world, we see the effects of sin. We see the breakdown of relationships and marriage and friendships. We see the breakdown of harmony within a nation, between nations. So in one way, nothing has changed. God is still God, the God of the scriptures, the God revealed in Jesus Christ. People are still image bearers of God and still uh, sinful people who need the redemption of a Savior. But in a a broken, wounded, and rebellious world, sin takes different patterns, so to speak. Now, when we look at the pandemic, uh, we might say, well, it's God's judgment on the earth. And we need to be careful. We know that God is a God of righteous and holy judgment, and we're in need of a Savior, an advocate, uh, to be restored. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. But also, we need to be careful. On the one hand, we want to read the signs of the times, but we don't want to read in something that's not there.
0: Right. Or may not be there. Because this so has happened that, throughout time. I mean, mm-hmm. every time that something major happens throughout history, people have thought these are the end times. You know, the end is near. And, you know, people have always made that claim. And it's, it's not a new claim. So every time something happens like that, uh, people do that. And in one way, you could say that it is a result of sin in the sense that We live in a fallen world, um, Mm -hmm. which is plagued, you know, plagued by plagues and sicknesses and all other sorts of maladies. So in a sense, it Mm -hmm. is the result of sin, but it's not an individual sin necessarily, but more of a fact that we live in a fallen world. And how are we going to respond to that?
1: Exactly. And if you look at Luke 13, there are two cases where great evil came upon people, and Jesus said, don't say they were more sinful than you are, but unless you repent, you too will perish. So there's a time to not try to understand exactly how various woes and terrible situations relate to sin. We know they exist because of sin, generally. But to say, well, this is God's specific judgment for this specific sin is is difficult. What we face is uh, a terrible situation medically, economically, and then we have all the racial upheaval. And uh, the Christian's call is not so much to specifically identify all the causes of the maladies, but to try to love God and love people in the midst of it. And of course we do know something about the pandemic. We know that it's highly contagious. We know it can be fatal. Mm -hmm. So then the question is what is the loving thing to do in light of this?
0: Yeah. I mean, that is something that I know well. I mean, my whole life I've been told I think too much and I know from experience That analysis can cause paralysis and we should not spend so much time on analyzing and actually spend more time on action and thinking about, okay, what are the needs here right now and how can we step into this uh, this vacuum and be a positive changing force out of the love of Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ in our hearts?
1: Right. I think the issue is where do you invest your analysis? And if you're investing it in what can I do to keep myself and my family safe? What can I do to help uh, slow the spread or stop the spread of the pandemic? Uh, how should I understand this as an American? What are my liberties? you uh, don't want to become um, someone who abuses liberty, someone who says, well, I have right over my own life. And if I don't wear a mask, then I don't want to wear a mask. And I'll even go to the Capitol with my guns and tell people I'm not going to wear a mask. I mean, that's very petulant, very adolescent at best, and not a loving thing to do. We are called to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow Christ. And even if you're not a Christian, you should be concerned with the common good and preserving the common good involves self-control and involves taking.
0: Well, you know that this pandemic is something that nobody alive today has really ever seen. And I think the, the last uh, episode like this was the 1918 Spanish flu. And I know that, um, there may be a few people alive today that have seen something like this, mm-hmm. but there are very few and society then wasn't like society now. And so I'm interested to hear your perspective on how you think the pandemic may be affecting um, our society, perhaps the foundation and the bedrock of what America is built on. Now that's
1: a, a deep question. And the person who has influenced me the most about my understanding of America in uh, world history and uh, the promise and the challenges would be Oz Guinness. And I recommend his many books, but particularly a book called The Free People's Suicide and another called Last Call for Liberty. But sadly, because of the decline of civic education and a lack of the knowledge of history in American history, many Americans don't know the uniqueness and the uh, singularity of the United States and, and the history of the world, really. It is the, the only nation that was conceived by philosophers uh, in the sense that a new nation was coming about as a result of breaking away from England. And you had uh, great thinkers like uh, Thomas Jefferson and Madison and Hamilton and others who said, what sort of a nation do we want to have? So it's a deliberative nation, and for all of our failures, we have a system of um, a republic, we have a constitution, constitution can be amended, and that's significant because when people point out the sins of America, such as slavery and, and racism and so on, and not giving women the vote and suppression of women, they often don't realize that America has a... Set up where reform uh, can happen and has happened without overthrowing the civil government. We have amendments to the constitution. We have popular votes. We have referenda, and so on. And so, uh, the United States is unique among the nation, and nations of the world. And the idea of American exceptionalism is just a fact. Uh, no other nation came into being the way the United States did, and the issue is how do we preserve what is good and how do we reform what is not. So I think in light of the racial upheaval, in light of the pandemic, we need a better sense of the founding ideals of the country and staying true to them. Just last night I saw something online of uh, an angry crowd burning the American flag and cheering. Mm-hmm. I thought, you don't know what the heck you are doing. right? Or if you do, um, God help you. Because it's not that uh, my country right or wrong, it's not nationalism, it's patriotism. And we want to stand for what is best in the American system. And also, liberty cannot be preserved without virtue. And virtue requires self-denial, a sense of the common good. And...
0: Which is also missing well, from our educational system yeah. is um, the the teaching of the virtues and teaching mm-hmm. of character, and because of that lack of education, we have what we have now. Because we have taken away right. um, classical education that that has you know lasted millennia, we mm-hmm. have what we have now today. Um, and one of the interesting right. things I've thought about, you know, I, I'm from Texas and I just went to visit, uh, spent a lengthy stay there. And as I was coming home, I came through New Mexico and it said Mas, masks required in New Mexico. But if I hadn't seen that sign, I wouldn't have known that there were masks required and neither did mm-hmm. any of the other travelers. I mean, there were some people with masks, some people with not, and um, the way that I've seen our country shaken in a ways that I have not seen it before, and granted, I'm only 42, I'm not 85 like my grandmother, but I've never really seen such disparity between the states and such confusion going on where everyone's on a different page, and I think that that is something that's deeply concerning about the pandemic and how it's dividing the United States.
1: Well, that's true. And a crisis will always bring out the character of a people. We think of the American people as a whole, in light of our history and our founding ideals, of the American system and many think of individual states have a kind of character or ethos about them. Of course, some states are hit a lot harder than others. I'm right now speaking in uh, the thriving metropolis of Willow, Alaska, and uh, Alaska has not been hit hard by the pandemic at all. However, uh, the governor here has been concerned to be extremely cautious and to put certain measures in place simply to keep the numbers extremely low, and that's been shown to be... The most effective way of dealing with this, and there are some states and some politicians that say, "Well, we have the freedom to do what we want." And they say, "Well, wait a minute—you're also a citizen among citizens, and you are a person among cities and a state and a country. And uh, restraint is the price of civilization, and that's uh, one of the prizes And I'm so concerned that people, so many people are throwing off restraint. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just flaunting public safety uh, mm-hmm. or they're destroying public property uh, because of the racial disputes. And it's, it's a time to be really concerned. I think there's some biblical passages like, without a vision, the people perish. Right. Well, we have a vision of the gospel and the scripture, but America has a kind of vision too. And as you said, it's not being transmitted. Properly and critical thinking skills like teaching the the trivium and so on are not being transmitted. So people are easily led and easily misled by memes and by sound bites and talking points and so on.
0: Well, you know, I've mentioned to you before, um, I've for years I've had a it's, it's one prayer, but it comes from two passages. It's the prayer of Solomon asking God for wisdom to lead the people. And also um, another coming from 1 uh, Chronicles 12:32 about the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. And I've been praying that for church leaders as well. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about what church leaders could be doing right now, to uh, both shepherd their congregation, even though they don't, they may not have services, they may not have the ability to have services, or also be a light in a world where um, nobody is trusting anybody. We have an opportunity to to be a, to be a bright light and a very dark time. So what would be your Mm -hmm. thoughts on that?
1: Well, people, I think, are looking to leaders in the church, and uh, nobody that went to seminary or nobody who's led a church probably thought, how do I be a faithful uh, pastor, teacher, worship leader during a plague?
0: (laughs) No, I don't think there was a course on that.
1: (laughs) No, I teach at Denver Seminary. I don't know of any course like that. But I think we, one thing we need to do is to develop a theology of the second best. The best thing is to come together and worship and pray and hear the message and greet each other.
0: Yeah, and, and that's, be in, that's and important place. because of the Incarnation and yes. you know being physically present with one another is significant.
1: Right, and there are forces in our culture before the plague really challenging that or undermining that and doing more and more things online. But we live in a compromised situation We're in the midst of a crisis and then you use what is second best to the utmost. So I think that churches should have services online and counsel online and then do some risk assessment in terms of when do you want to be there with people face to face? How dangerous is it? So. This is called prudential reasoning. We use it all the time. So if you have a 75-year-old pastor with lung disease, I don't think you want him to be around people or her around people with COVID-19. It's very dangerous. Uh, And if that person is married, you have to consider whether the spouse would agree to that kind of dangerous activity. But if you're a 25-year-old youth pastor um, and you're in really good health and maybe – you would want to take a few more risks. And I mean risks to yourself. I don't mean endangering others because I am so sick of people saying, particularly young people, all my best friends are young people, who say, well, I'm healthy and I'm not worried about it. If I get it, I get it. That is so self-centered and ridiculous because you may be fine. You may not be, but you may infect your grandmother and she dies. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Or you may infect another older person and he or she dies. So we've got to get beyond this myopic view of just me and nothing but me. But in the church and in Christian endeavor in general, uh, we can develop this theology of the second best. And, and um, you and I are doing that, too, in terms of teaching. We, we do seminars on Zoom, and I teach my classes on Zoom. And I want to make the very best of it in that situation
0: yes and i'm very proud of you for learning how to do zoom (laughs) and doing your zoom you 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 resisted that for quite a while i heard
1: well i took a global pandemic to make me teach online (laughs) so i'm doing the best i can
0: (laughs) well you know A common thing that I hear people say is, and it was even in the Hunger Games, which I just recently watched with my daughter, but they say that hope is the only thing stronger than fear. And, you know, being um, trained and have studied the classical virtues, I would probably argue that courage is the only thing stronger than fear. But um, Mm -hmm. to close out on a note of hope, uh, Pew Research just came out with some statistics that indicated that even though the churches are, are closed and people actually can't go to church, 42% of evangelical Protestants said that their faith had increased during the pandemic. And that number is even higher against historically black um, Protestants, which is 56% um, of people responded that their faith has been increased. So what do you think is the story behind those statistics? statistics?
1: Well, the story is the story of God and the work of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the scriptures, because often when times are tough, we go back to first principles, we go back to our first love. who should be Jesus Christ, and he is a, a crucified and risen Savior, and he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And he told us to go out in the world and Proclaim the message and make disciples, and that's not put on hold during the pandemic. We continue to want to work out the Great Commission, love our neighbors as ourselves, and seek what is good for the city. So uh, the Spirit is not limited by any circumstance. The church can thrive when it has religious freedom. It can thrive as in China when it doesn't. It can thrive in pandemic. It can thrive during healthier times, but I think often we see this in Scripture so often. Hardship uh, drives us back to the cross and to the source of our strength, and that's our um, crucified and risen Savior.
0: Yes, that's well said. Dr. Grotes. thank you so much for joining me again all the way from Alaska, where you are uh, spending the summer in your home state. Um, listeners, I highly recommend you check out some of his books, which you can find on Amazon, and look at his website, uh, www.douglasgrothuis.com, where he frequently posts insightful commentary on current events. Thanks for being here today.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate
0: it. Pope Benedict once wrote, Hope is practiced through virtue, through the virtue of patience which continues to do good even in the face of apparent failure and through the virtue of humility, which accepts God's mystery and trusts him even at times of darkness. I encourage you listeners, wherever you are and whatever your burden, to strive to hope. Our Lord promises, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Thank you so much for listening. This is Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. I love reading your stories and the emails you send to me. Please reach out to me at drhaley at christiancurious.org. Uh, that's D-R-H-A-L-E-E at christiancurious.org. Stay curious. Thank you for listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. You can contact her with your comments or questions about today's show at her email, drhaley at christiancurious.org. That's D R. H-A-L-E-E at christiancurious.org You may also learn more by visiting the Christian Curious website christiancurious.org Join Dr. Haley again next week for Christian Curious on AM 670 KLTT